Hi friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, Forbes blogger, speaker, and now author of my own career book that has just released for pre-order on Amazon. You can probably guess the name as it's also called U-Turn, spelled Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. This book is all about getting unstuck, discovering your direction, and designing your dream career. I created the U-Turn podcast and wrote the U-Turn book with this goal of helping you reconnect to who you truly are and upgrading your confidence in work and in love. So if you're looking to get even more clarity beyond the podcast and even the book on where you belong in the workforce or you wanna make a career pivot or just explore your purpose overall, we have a brand new free quiz to help you out with that. Just head on over to ashleystahl.com if you wanna take it. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com for the free quiz. Also, I'm really excited to finally let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Organifi. I have fallen so in love with their smoothie protein, their chocolate, their vanilla, and also their green juice drink. I have both of these products every single day. And after years of declining and dodging sponsorship, because I didn't want to feel sticky promoting something to you, I decided that their products were so good, so transformative for my health and my morning routine that I reached out to them and asked if they wanted to sponsor the U-Turn show. So if you are inspired to upgrade your health during these uncertain times and you want products to add into your routine throughout the day, I just can't recommend them enough. I was able to get you a discount code for 15% off when you check out. All you gotta do is head on over to Organifi.com backslash U-Turn. It's spelled Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com backslash Y-O-U, T-U-R-N. Make sure you enter the code U-Turn at checkout on their website. And now let's dive in to this week's episode. I think the smartest thing you can do is be out there every day. And don't be afraid to have humility. You know, just post that you're looking for a job. And not everyone is comfortable doing that. But I've seen it happen, and what ends up happening is other people comment and start referring them and start, you know, helping them network. People don't know to help you until you notify them of, you know, that that you're looking for something and what you're looking for. Yeah. And the thing that I always do is, and people are horrible at this, but I always say, hey, you want me to help you get a job? Send me the top 10 companies you want to work for. And no one's ever done it in my whole career. And ever taken the time to think about what they want. And that's the big problem is think about what you want and then put the effort behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. And because that gives you a clear sense of direction. Otherwise you're fumbling. Hey, U-Turn friends, it's Ash, and I'm so excited that I've been trying to get this guest on the podcast for a minute. It is Don Shawbell. He is a New York Times bestselling author and the managing partner of Workplace Intelligence, which is a research and advisory firm that really helps HR adapt to all of the trends. And we all know right now there's so many different trends creating themselves in the market right now, drive performance, prepare for the future. He's a bestselling author of three career books, Back to Human, Promote Yourself, and Me 2.0. And he's also the host of the Five Questions podcast, where he interviews world-class humans like Richard Branson, Condoleezza Rice, Rachel Ray, Gary Vaynerchuk, Jay Shetty, 
I mean, I could go on about everything he's done, but he has worked right now on some studies that are really um, unearthing what we can expect in the future of work. And so I wanted to do this podcast with him about the implications of COVID-19 on the workforce and on the workplace. I have so many questions, but I want to just start off by saying thanks, Dan, for being here with me. I'm so happy to be with you. And I know it's taken a while, but we're going to make it worth it. Yeah, we're going to make it worth it. And I feel like even just before I started recording you talking about how you're surprised by your life, I feel like your life as somebody who has podcasts and works for yourself and you have flexibility, I'm guessing, that feels like it's pretty much becoming an option for so many people. And and I'm, I'm curious just to start off with, how are you holding COVID-19 and what's been going through your mind as you've been doing these research studies? For me, it's always been about getting data and using data to tell stories. And I have, early in my career, I viewed data as a way to have credibility and deflect ageism and criticism. Mm. So in my early 20s, I was writing career and job advice, how to get internships, how to network, all of that type of content. In the early days, how do you use social media to get a job? How do you use social media to get a promotion? How do you use social media to start a company? And because I was young, I was harassed, I was bullied, criticized. And then I started turning to data and I started citing all these different research studies. And now I've reviewed over 8,000 research studies, but I always saw data as a shield, you know, Mm -hmm. protected me. And therefore, that was my original connection with data because I didn't, I wasn't really big into stats or I wasn't even like an ultra performer in my marketing research class back in college. So it didn't, you know, I was more into, you know, I majored in marketing. So I I did have marketing skills and interests and I saw marketing as the creative field as part of business culture and, and how businesses operate. So I could express my creativity. That's why I got into marketing originally. I saw marketing as the, the opposite of accounting where it's very procedural and there's pretty much only one way to do it. Um, And so I didn't want that path. I wanted to focus on marketing. And then when I graduated, I told you, like, I thought data was really key to unlocking the future and to give, to be able to even give strong and solidified advice that was deemed credible by others. And then it wasn't until 2012 where I uh, launched my first major research campaign. And it wasn't even a survey. It was an analysis of 4 million millennial Facebook profiles. And that study went viral at the time. As in, it was covered by like all the publications. It was talked about on national TV. And then I got hooked, right? Because now it wasn't just, you know, citing data. It was now I'm producing findings. I'm producing results. I'm leading campaigns. So I'm taking advantage of all the skills that I have. You know, I'm, I I like marketing promotion, I like data and storytelling. And so I was able to leverage all my interests and skills to be able to now form a a whole company around that, just focused on work-life issues, right? Mm. Because I'm like, this is what people are experiencing. And if I can uncover findings that help you know, companies, because I advise companies, but also I'm a champion of the individual. So if I can raise the issues that they're dealing with, I can make an impact in that way. So in terms of how I feel like I can make an impact of the world, and I didn't think about this when I was in my early twenties, it's taken me you know, over 10 years to really think about 
where my skills and interests and impact align. And it is using the data, partnering with companies to promote the issues that people are facing and then the real world solutions on how to solve them. So all of my studies, they're, they, have, they identify problems, but also solutions. And I think that's powerful. And you don't see too many studies that do both in one project. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm this year, I'm releasing my 53rd research study. Wow. So it's been enormous. But I also, the other thing that I do that makes me very unique in the marketplace is not only do I have a niche of work-life topics and I conduct primary research, but I've also interviewed over 2,300 of the world's most successful people since I was 22. So my view on that is I want to make the topics that I research about mainstream using the voices of people who are famous in their platform. And that connection that I've been able to assimilate in the past, I would say even six months, I just started to make all these connections and start asking the same questions, you know, has led to a kind of a new mainstream platform of, uh, of trying to leverage other people's platforms in order to spotlight the issues, burnout, you know, mental health issues, especially those are two of the big ones that we'll probably talk about in this podcast so that, so that we can start to do something about them because I think they're important. They're not going away anytime soon. Okay. And I love what you're saying because when I started writing for Forbes, I think I had had some like PTSD from like the same thing you're talking about, like judgment, especially because I started when I was young in this space as well. And data was what saved me. It was like, I'm just going to give my opinion and then back it up with three hyperlinks, you know, like, and and then it's going to just set me free. So I know that when we started talking before I hit the record button, you talked about burnout and productivity. And I feel like this is a really powerful place to start because number one, I, I know a lot of people are burnout and I've gone through burnout probably twice in my career. One was pretty severe where I just was like floating around the world for a year, not working. And I couldn't make my brain work if I tried. And then another one was just general tiredness and lack of good energy towards work. I'm curious if you can paint a picture of like, what is burnout versus just having a tough week? And, and what are you seeing with burnout right now? I view burnout as chronic. I was mm-hmm. burned out through all of my twenties. I was working over a hundred hours a week. I had in, in my early twenties, I was employed full-time at a fortune 200 technology company. And then nights and weekends, I did all of my side projects, which include, I wrote a blog, 10 articles or so each week. I started my own magazine. I, you know, had my own, you know, video series that I was producing. I started writing a book. So I was doing a million different things outside of work. And all of that combined with the full-time job was attributed to massive burnout. Um, Do I regret doing that? No, because I feel like all of that effort ended up paying off because I have an end result of being able to live this lifestyle now and do work that I love, right? So, but now I feel like when I'm overworked, I do burn out. Like, I don't know, like after maybe four or five o'clock, my ability to produce high quality work is like impossible. So Knowing that, I have to wake up even earlier to start doing work, and I have to prioritize the work that takes the most amount of, you know, my emotional capital and and problem-solving capabilities at the start of the day. Because the later it gets, the less likely I am to perform well at those tasks. 
and this is just self-awareness and me understanding what my strengths are and developing the habits that enable me to do all these different projects simultaneously. Like I'm leading three research studies right now. And, and it just so happens that this new one that we have coming out, uh, we partner with the Workforce Institute at Cronus, which I have, I've led multiple studies with them over the years. And one of the things we focused on during COVID was burnout, of course, because people work more hours. And we found that half of employees globally are working either the same or more hours regularly since the pandemic started in March. But a lot of organizations are following behind and trying to address that problem. And so burnout continues. I think part of the reason why people are more burned out now is because you don't have to commute to work. Like a commute to work pre-pandemic was you'd be in a car potentially, or you'd be, you know, in a train or, or taking a bike or something to work. And you would have time to just kind of relax and get your thoughts together, not be doing work. And now that doesn't exist. So most people are reallocating that time they, they used to spend commuting to doing work. So that that's potentially one to two hours more per day of work. Uh, and then you add that over the, the course of the week and you're working at least five hours more per week. And so that's part of it. And the other part is there's no work-life balance per se anymore. Like you have to self-manage and a, a fourth of all workers uh, never work remote before the pandemic, work remote wow. for the first time between March and April. Mm-hmm. And so they had to adjust, they had to figure it out. And, you know, a lot of people are very happy, but, you know, there are drawbacks to working remote. There are drawbacks to even loving what you do. If you love what you do and something doesn't go right, you're more emotionally attached to that work because you love it, mm-hmm. right? If you, But, and no one talks about this, but if you don't love what you do and you see it as just a paycheck to, you know, put food in front of your family every night, then you don't care as much. Like it, you're not, a, your identity is not trapped in your job at that point. You just see it as a means to provide for your family. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you love what you do, it's directly tied and you can take things very personally. It can hurt you. And it took me years to not detach per se, but to not let things bother me. And I think that just comes with time getting rejected many I get rejected all the time every day and you have to be willing to get rejected regularly like I've talked to you know a lot of really successful people and one of the common common the common things with like all entrepreneurs is the ability to persevere you know Mm -hmm. if you you're able to you know get rejected uh you can you can move forward and you almost build like um not a resistance to it but more of you know, more strength to get through it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so critical, uh, especially now, whether you're applying for jobs, you're trying to get, you know, get a promotion. If you're trying to build a company, whatever you're trying to do, you have to be willing to get rejected in order to get what you want. And sometimes based on my life, sometimes the more rejection you face when you actually get that opportunity, it's much more gratifying. You appreciate it more. And it's usually the better opportunity for you. Like there's a re nothing's random. Like if you get rejected from an opportunity, you weren't meant to get that opportunity at that period of time. And I realized that, you know, during college when I was trying to get internships, like it took me a year and a half to get an internship at Reebok, but I knew I wanted it. And so I fought to get it, you know, EMC, my first uh, job when I graduated college, 
15, I met 15 people for three different jobs. I like somehow got the job, but I got the right job for me at that time, which eventually became the first social media position of the company uh, several years later. So don't look at rejection as just rejection. Look at it as you, it wasn't meant for you right now. And because you didn't get that job, it's almost like dating because, you know, this girl or guy didn't was didn't want a second date with you. It means that you can now focus on other people or opportunities that are a better fit because you only have so much time, energy, and money, you know, to allocate. And when things don't go well, you can reallocate that time to the right opportunities. Mm, I love this. And I, I also understand that, you know, like I have a pretty good relationship with failure. Like I don't mind rejection. I don't think too much about it. I just keep moving along, but every now and again, life will kind of throw us a curveball, and we'll be out of the arena for a while. And I know that that could look like a, a serious burnout. And so I'm curious, like, what are some, um, insights you've had from recovering from burnout? Because I know some people feel like they just need to go find an Island and sit on it for like a year or something is what's going on in their head. So what would be some suggestions you have for people who kind of feel overwhelmed with how to move out of that? Create your own vacation and make that vacation relevant to where you are at this time. And with a lot of deep thought in terms of where it is. You need to change your environment to change your mindset. And when you do that, your health increases. So for instance, you know, I was, I was really stressed in July because I, you know, I've been quarantining for so long that I just picked up and left and went to the Cape for a week, right? There was no real agenda. I just needed to get out. And the art of doing that is almost like a release. Now, of course, you take yourself with you. It's not like the work disappears per se, but there is something to be said about changing your, changing your environment uh, because that leads to creativity. It leads to space, and we all need to recover. We can't just, you know, we can't just always be working because if you're always working, then it can start to get counterproductive. And uh, because if you're burned out, at some point, you're not going to be as effective as effective as you were. Mm -hmm. And you just have to pay attention to that. And I think that's about getting to know yourself, getting to know, you know, when you should start working or, or stop working. And, and like, the thing I always tell people is, if we live and die by our calendars, and if it's not on our calendar, it doesn't exist, then we should construct a calendar that reflects our personal and professional lives, not just what we do for work, not just meetings and projects. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty easy actually, because you just open up Outlook or Google calendar and you start to construct your calendar to reflect the life you want to live. I love this. Meaning and that like you can just put an hour of time in every morning to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you're basically saying this time is me time. It's not work time. That's, mm -hmm. that's the statement you're saying. And then the other thing you can do is like start to, you know, look at your bank account and what you're spending money on and think about, you know, if you should be spending money on those things still, or if you want to reallocate where you're investing money, maybe, maybe you should take the money you're spending on, I don't know, clothing or, or, uh, I don't know, other things. And then reinvest that into mindfulness apps. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that, right? Like reinvest your Netflix account in, you know, a Headspace account. 
Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know from November 12th to November 19th, Organifi is doing a really fun promotion. You've heard me do this one before with them where they're offering their gold chocolate product and you get three canisters of it and a free frother so that you can make those delicious turmeric chocolate lattes in the afternoon when you're feeling that slump. You guys know that I am a really big sweet tooth and this is such a game changer. So if you go to Organifi.com slash U-turn and you enter the U-turn code when you check out, you'll get 15% off three chocolate golds and the free frother. It is packed with multivitamins, turmeric, and so much more. It is just a magical powder and I'm so excited to share it with you. Head on over to O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N and make sure you use that code at checkout. Thanks so much and back to the episode. Yeah, and I also, I I know that you have these studies that are pointing to how much the workforce is changing. And I know you were talking about earlier just with productivity and how the average employee is working. You said it was five hours additionally per week. About that. That's the studies uh, I've seen. And the studies I'm working on, I can't really say it publicly, but yes, people are working about that amount of time, sometimes more. Got it. Okay. And so I would love to hear some of the things that shocked you. I know we were talking about, um, you know, how a lot of job descriptions are removing the concept of relocating. Can you talk to us a little bit about what this means for the future as a whole? And another thing that strikes me as odd is a lot of people are talking about how they can't wait for things to get quote unquote back to normal. Do you have any thoughts on what the new normal will actually look like? Yes. So this is very important. Accept this as the new normal. And then as this, what we're experiencing right now, changes and evolves, adapt to that. And as humans, you do that anyways. But don't think of in six months or in a year or two years, things will go back to what they were in February or January. No, accept this as your normal and then work within this new paradigm. And that that is the best advice I can give you. Like this is life now, wearing masks, you know, not eating indoors, you know, getting tested, maybe like not going on a plane, not going on a train, like limiting certain things you normally would do. And then play within that based on your comfort and the comfort of other people, because it's not just about you. It's about all these other people you're interacting with, your friends, your family, your coworkers. So always be conscious about what their comfort level is. For instance, you might be okay eating indoors. You don't care, but other people might. So you want to be, you want to start to ask those type of questions of, you know, who's willing to do what? Uh, Mm -hmm. something that we never really had to think of before, but we have to think of now. So play within this new environment and accept this right now as the new normal. It is the life you're living. And then as things change, you know, we get vaccinated in six months, then just keep adapting to that and play, play with this, right? Like, like, um, you know, adjust your behavior based on how things are changing in your comfort level and other people's. So Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the best way to, uh, to live right now is to not think that we're going to go back. I think we're going to go forward. And your other question is about, you know, what does the future look like? I think it's all over the place. I think anyone who thinks that there's a one size fits all model is completely wrong. It's never going to be like that because you have to, there's so many variables, Mm. right? Like depending on what your industry you're in, the nature of your job. Like if you're an essential worker, you're not going to work remote. You know, it depends on, If you are an introvert or extrovert, if you have children or you don't have children, 
Mm. You know, like, because if you have children, then childcare is a problem for you, but it might not be a problem for someone else. Depends on your age, are you in college, you're a recent college graduate, depends on your area of focus, is what you do in high demand or is it not in high demand? So from a personal perspective and a corporate perspective, it's going to be all over the place. And you're going to see that too. All these news headlines, you see, you know, some companies like, I love this example, actually. So I interviewed the head of HR at Sodexo. Mm-hmm. and they have a team A and team B. So they know that it's important for their employees to go back in the office, but they split it 50-50, right? So 50% occupancy at one time. And so if you're on team A, you get to go in the office on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, let's say. But if you're in team B, you get Tuesdays and Thursdays, right? And so I think that strategy is interesting because, again, it's not let's send everyone back or let's keep everyone at home. And I think that's part of the future is a lot of it's going to be a hybrid model. You know, I I always say it's like a a phased approach for going back to the office, but also a hybrid model about who goes back when. And that depends on, again, the nature of the job, industry, location's huge, right? So if you're someone living in China versus the U.S. versus Canada, you know, each country and even each state in America has different rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. So there's so many complexities. And I think that that's why it's not like this is the future. It's more of this is the future. This is another future. This is another future, depending on who you are, where and what you, you do. Also where you live, right? What the rules are there, which is just so interesting. And it seems like more than ever before, we're required to be mindful of the people around us, not just from a health standpoint, but from a comfort zone standpoint with like, you know, the workplace. And you said something about being hybrid. And one thing I've been hearing a lot with clients and just across the board is a lot of companies, and I don't know if you're hearing this, are providing a fully remote option or a fully back in the office option. Um, do you see the future of work just based on all the research you're doing right now to be a little bit more of a hybrid? And I know with two thirds of the workforce being remote right now, you'd said, um, what percent or, or what do you project might be the case as far as people going back into offices? Great question. I'm seeing a lot of the technology companies extend remote work up until the end of 2021. I'm seeing some media companies and some, uh, some, uh, who else I'm trying to think some media companies and I don't know, just a bunch of industries. Oh, Oh, in the financial sector that are forcing employees to go back to the office. Mm-hmm. So again, the industry plays a role in this, right? If you're a technology company, of course, you have the technology to enable all sorts of remote work and you have all the collaborative tools in place. So you're more Mm -hmm. likely to handle that and accept it because it was always there. But what's really interesting is, I mean, you have Google, you have Walmart, a lot of these companies are spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on new office spaces. So basically these, these companies are going to have their own mini cities. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like this, but like also some headquarters are, are being disbanded and now they're going to be smaller sites, Mm. which goes back to what I was saying before is not one size fits all. Everyone's sort of handling this different. And of course we can learn from what companies are doing. Companies can learn from what, you know, each, each other are doing, but it's going to be all over the place. Depends on the CEO, what they want to do, depends on where their offices are, all this stuff. But I think going back to your earlier point, which is really important and really fascinating is, Again, a lot of these trends have always existed, 
now COVID has poured gasoline on the trends. It's lit fire to the things that were already there, like remote work, but also with remote work, for the first time ever, if you work, if you worked and lived in Idaho, you could get a job in Silicon Valley at Google or another technology company. They're all remote jobs now. Mm-hmm. And so once you eliminate relocation, it, it creates a whole new global talent pool that existed, but really exists now. Mm. Right. I mean, the, a lot of these jobs could have been remote all along. Like I remember when I was working for a big tech company in social media, I asked my boss, can I work remote? And he said, no, you'll get everyone else jealous. And now that company is one of the leading remote work companies. <laughs> Go figure. And now with everyone being able to work remote for safety reasons, and, you know, it saves a lot of money in real estate costs. I mean, that's, there's always a profit uh, motive for, for companies that they're looking to save money and real estate is a huge cost for them. Um, you can compete for jobs everywhere. So, but that also means two things. One is it's harder to get those jobs because you're competing with more people. And from a corporate perspective, you know, it's hard to filter through all those applications. There's so many more. I mean, Google gets like millions of applications a year and what they're going to probably get three X that or more. So it's going to require and build a case for more artificial intelligence and being able to review resumes and applications at at scale. Mm, So the talent software that we've kind of carried with us throughout the, you know, early millennium to now doesn't seem to probably satisfy the amount of filtering and talent extraction that is going to be called forward post COVID. Um, Are you seeing that there's probably, or would you project that there's going to be a rise in talent screening software or how are the companies going to be able to handle the amount of talent that is flying their way when relocation from a job description gets removed? And how do people stand out? Because I know you've written about personal brands a lot. I'm sure people are thinking to themselves like, wow, how am I going to stand out in this crazy pool? So if we think about what a job seeker should do right now, I think they need to play offense and defense and think short-term and long-term. That to me is the strategy. So let's think about defense. A defensive move right now is two things. One is to network with people, everyone, right, in your field, anyone who you're interested in. And two is to, to do what we do, put out content, right? Like be out there, be a top of mind brand per se, so that eventually you're positioning yourself for the opportunities you really want. Mm-hmm. Offense in something that's more short-term rather than long-term would be just get a job so you can pay your bills, mm-hmm. right? Get, get a job that even remotely fits what you're looking for just to have something because what I've learned, I did a whole study on the passive versus active job seeker. Companies want to recruit passive job seekers. A passive job seeker is someone who's open to jobs, but currently has a job. So they're viewed as more valuable because they're practicing skills right now. Whereas a active job seeker is unemployed looking for a job. So they're more desperate. Therefore, you don't have to pay them as much and they're not seen as valuable. Yes. So that's why you should just do projects. You should do anything you possibly can while you're searching for a job because it'll be better positioned to get the job you want. And always think long-term because the best careers take a long time, but a lot of the best jobs and careers can't be found by going to indeed.com. 
Yes. You also bring up a really good point. I think a lot of people right now who are feeling that burnout or that productivity hangover that you were kind of talking about with the extra approximately five hours or so per week. I think there's a lot of thought if they have a situation where they've saved money, where they're like, this has been really weird times. I actually want to reflect. And, and of course, there's a portion of the workforce that wants to hold on to their jobs with all of their might and keep the security. Um, but it seems like your consensus here would be that you're just going to be more desirable for your next role if you have a role that you're in, which seems to be what I've heard over the years, but it's, it, it seems to be even more the case right now. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's, I think the smartest thing you can do is be out there every day, be out mm. there because, and don't be afraid to have humility, you know, just post that you're looking for a job and not everyone is comfortable doing that, but I've seen it happen. And what ends up happening is other people comment and start referring them and start, you know, uh, helping them network, but you don't, people don't know to help you until you notify them of, you know, that, that you're looking for something and what you're looking for. Yeah. And the thing that I always do is, and people are horrible at this, but I always say, hey, you want me to help you get a job? Send me the top 10 companies you want to work for. And no one's ever done it in my whole career. No one's ever taken the time to think about what they want. And that's the big problem is think about what you want and then put the effort behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. And because that gives you a clear sense of direction. Otherwise, you're fumbling. It's fascinating to me because for me, one of the tenets of working with somebody in my private practice is making sure they know where they want to go. It's like, how can the world make way for you if you don't know where you're going? And how interesting that somebody in your shoes, Dan, hasn't necessarily gotten that list from somebody. And with your research and, and all the studies that you're putting out right now, in addition to the fact that a lot of job descriptions now without the word relocation are expanding the talent pool and there's more competition and there's more work on behalf of companies to filter through talent. What else are you finding to be very fascinating when it comes to the implications of COVID in the workforce? Yeah. The other thing that goes along with this is localized compensation. So several months ago, Mark Zuckerberg came out saying, you know, our employees are going to be able to work remote for an extended period of time, but eventually they're going to get paid based on zip code. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if you work, and we'll go back to the other example I gave, if you're in Idaho working for Facebook, you're going to make less money because it's going to cost you less to live. And that get, that's going to be factored into how much you get paid. And the thing is, it's kind of always existed, like people getting paid more when they live in New York versus elsewhere because they factor in cost of living. And you're not going to get paid a low amount to live in New York because the cost is so high and you won't have like a good social life there pretty much, even though a lot of these companies become your homes because they provide everything food between food and, and, and social life. So I think that's something that's people are very conflicted about right now. People think that they should be paid based on the value, but companies, you know, it's a buyer's market. Companies want to pay less money to employees if they can, because talent is their greatest asset but it's also their greatest expense. So they want to lower that expense and they see localized compensation as a way to do that. Even though a lot of the tech companies especially have been way more profitable during COVID. Mm. 
I so see that. Like that makes so much sense to me. And I know one of the things that I did a little bit of research on is just how there's going to be, and I'm curious if you agree with this, like a rise in apps for measuring people's performance. Like I know that I would expect if the workforce stays similar, that companies are going to want to make sure people are being productive. And even though you're seeing a rise in productivity, I'm hearing from my friends, like they're feeling very unmotivated in their house. So it's almost like holding both of those realities. Like a lot of people are being very productive. A lot of people can't be as productive working from home. They don't feel as inspired when they're not around a team. Is there anything in addition to the localized compensation that you were finding in your studies that you think would help people prepare better for what they're, what's coming? Yeah, it's interesting. Like in the study with Kronos, we, we asked about, you know, like, you know, how important is it to have a clean and healthy workplace? And the the thing that workers are looking for the most is the flexibility that we talked about, and they're looking for psychological safety. They want to know mm-hmm. that their company is there communicating and taking care of them. And one of the big issues we found in the study, which may not be that big of a surprise, but I think it's very important and can't be understated, is a lack of communication. Yes. Communication builds trust. And one of the things we've studied is trust and trust is the most valuable asset right now during COVID and the organizations that build trust or had built trust are the ones that are doing better than those who aren't. And, you know, I've interviewed a ton of people about this and, you know, more of what we found is, is that safety and security can build trust. Like let's say a restaurant, if the restaurant on Yelp and on their website and in person is like taking your temperature and social distancing and has the you know QR code for the menu and has sent all these safety precautions, they're they're earning your trust. You're more comfortable going there. Um, the same thing with any physical office in a corporate job. You know, if the company, you know, for instance, Cisco and Salesforce, they have an app where you know, you fill out a health questionnaire and then it tells you whether you're permitted to go to the office or not. And I think by doing that, you're you're more trusted because you're taking those precautions. Like you've invested time, you know, energy and money into mechanisms and, and apps and and safety precautions that are communicating trust. And I think the other aspect of communication that that is extremely important is just being honest and open about what's actually happening in the company. You know, not just sending around a press release to your employees, like having conversations with the CEO or, or any, any leader within the organization. Like I've seen a lot of these companies have Q and A's where employees are like, what is, what's going to happen with a business? What's going to happen with us? Like, and these are tough questions, but when you open yourself up, it builds more engagement, especially at a time in which people are at a distance. Makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it's like you're dealing with people whose basic livelihood and security is on the line with something like COVID and companies who are creating space for their imagination to play in is probably going to trigger them looking for something else or making sure that they have their ass covered with their career. Um, Is there anything that you recommend just for the employee right now, when it comes to preparing for the future, is there something that they should be doing right now in addition to creating a personal brand and, um, you know, making sure that they don't burn out? I mean, I think it's about acquiring the right skills right now. You know, you Mm -hmm. have more time, use that time to, you know, research what skills are really important 
that are more in demand right now because that's going to set you up for the future. And mm. if you look at LinkedIn's top skills for 2020, you know, a lot of it was like UI design, artificial intelligence, uh, cloud computing. Like those are three of the top five. Data science, that's another one. Like focus on those areas because, of course, there's high growth there. They're very in demand. There's a short supply and that's where the world's going. So you want to go to where the world's going as long as it somewhat aligns to your skills and your interests and move in that direction because you'll be better positioned for opportunities in the future. Mm. It's so interesting to hear you share this because it feels like there's different people in different camps in the workforce right now, like people who need a job and there's very short runway where it's like, all right, take a look at where there's need and just go there. And then there's people that have a little bit longer of a runway where they're probably thinking about making a change. And for me as a career coach, it's like so challenging to tell people to just tell, do what the workforce is telling you to do versus what they want to do. So it's good to hear you kind of recommending balancing those two polars of look at what the workforce needs, but also look at what you want to do. Um, I feel like people who are listening to us, there might be some sadness when you were saying like, except that this is the reality now. Um, why do you think that COVID is a huge win for the future of work? What are a couple areas that you feel like, Oh, I'm so excited by this for the workforce. From an individual standpoint, the first word that comes to my mind is reflection. Mm-hmm. I think the best way to secure a better future is reflection. Like really think about the opportunities, the experiences, the people that you've met over the course of your career so far, and and then do research on in career paths in terms of skill development. And by re- really reflecting and being honest with yourself, you're going to make better decisions moving forward. And I think that's so important. And now is the time to do it because you are you you know potentially have more time to to reflect. So I think that is going to be really key for everyone. And then from a corporate standpoint, I think everyone's got to double down on safety. And what's mm-hmm. fascinating about safety, I just put out an article about this, is that it's the new competitive advantage right now. Like the safer your office, the safer your organization is or is perceived to be the more you'll be able to get top talent because there's been recent studies that have come out that have shown that when people are looking for a job, safety is now in the top three pieces of their criteria. And it was never even in the top like 20, to be honest. And if it's so high, if it is so valued, it's something that you have to invest more time and care into Mm. because you're going to be competing on trust. And one of the, pillars of trust during COVID is safety. Mm. Mm. So interesting. Okay. And um, is there anything I haven't asked you about the future of work that you feel like we got to make sure everybody listening knows? So, cause I know that as you were saying, people are reflecting a lot and I feel like they see this kind of wave coming and they don't know what to do to prepare. Yeah. It, it's really hard to prepare. You know, I don't think anyone could have seen this coming. So don't stress that you're unprepared. I mean, we found that a lot, a lot of organizations are unprepared. Um, I mean, in the study, we found that only a fraction of employees, like 20%, felt their organization met their needs during the initial few months of COVID. Mm. So everyone is adjusting. A lot of organizations didn't even have remote work policies. And so just understand that everyone, every company, every person is making some sort of adjustment in their life. It might not be their work life. It might be their personal life. 
and both mm-hmm. are so connected right now. So one affects the other. If you have a bad day at work, you know, it's going to hurt your day overall. That's I've always viewed it. That's part of why I do what I do because I, there's a, such a connection, especially now between work and life, you know, uh, a bad mood during the work day. It's not like that's gone when you come home, especially when home is, you know, three feet away. Mm. So mm. I think that everyone needs to take this time to reflect, to think about their skills, think about the marketplace, think about the messages that they care about and what they want to start to invest their time in. I think what I've seen is now is the time to get closer with the network you already have, but don't be afraid to reach out to new people and just ask how you can help them or with people you're currently connected to, just, you know, check in with them. And what's fascinating about that simple task of checking in or, you know, the gesture, let's say gesture of checking in is, is like people want to be thought of, right? Especially with so many people struggling, if you're even acknowledge their existence, they feel better. And I see that with my friends. So I think that don't be afraid to reach out, play offense and defense, think short-term and long-term and, uh, and really take this time to reflect because, you know, we're usually so occupied with so many different things that we never take that time. And I really didn't that much when I was younger. And now I take a little bit more time to think about, okay, what do I really want to do? And I think those bigger questions that you have to ask yourself will pave the way to a better life and career. Mm, wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can everybody keep learning from you or get access to your studies that you're going to be releasing? Thank you. Yeah. If you go to workplaceintelligence.com, you'll get access to the research studies. And if you go to danshawbell.com, you'll get access to just about everything else. And definitely listen to the Five Questions podcast and read the Workplace Intelligence Weekly newsletter on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thanks again for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. If any of our guests mention any resource that you're interested in, you can head on over to ashleystall.com and press the podcast tab to see any show notes. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you're also going to see our brand new free quiz, helping you discover which career path you're actually meant for. It's followed by tons of content-packed emails about your personality in the work And of course, we just can't thank you enough for your written reviews. These reviews mean a lot for our show to keep getting out there. So if you ever send me a DM on the gram, and I'm so grateful that you have, I would love it if you would copy and paste that into the podcast app of your smartphone as a written review. It would mean so much for us over here at the show. Thanks again for being here, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.